Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, May 27, 2018, on the basis of Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Maybe it's good that there are fewer people in church today. As you know, it's Memorial Day weekend, which kind of kicks off the season of the year for camping trips and weekends at the cabin, and so it's just inevitable that on this three-day weekend especially, there's going to be fewer people in church than normal, and, and maybe that's a good thing. Things you never thought you'd hear a pastor say, right? Of course, I'm speaking a little bit tongue-in-cheek when I say that, but, but why would I say that in the first place? Well, in addition to it being Memorial Day weekend, today, the Sunday right after Pentecost, is also the Sunday known as the Festival of the Holy Trinity. And if the world around us knew anything about this holiday, it would no doubt be the least popular holiday on the entire Christian calendar. You see, we live in a world where it is very common and very popular. In fact, it's kind of just accepted wisdom that all religions in the world really are worshiping the same God at the end of the day. And, and every religious path that there is is a different but equally valid path to ultimately get to that same God that we are all worshiping. And on this day, on, on Holy Trinity Sunday, the Christian church stands up and at least in part says, hold on just a second. The God we worship is triune. He is three persons in one God. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And every version of God other than the triune God is, is really not the true God. And of course, for saying this, Christians often face criticism for being arrogant and condescending. And, and to be fair, we've no doubt done our part over the years to earn some of that criticism. But recently I came across uh, an interesting way of thinking about this and talking about this that I, I wanted to share with you this morning. Imagine you had five people who wanted to get from Madison to Chicago. One of them decides that he's going to take a plane. One decides he's going to drive his car. One is going to take the bus, one is going to ride his bike, and one is going to walk. Now, we might have our opinion about which of those five ways is the best way to get from Madison to Chicago, but it would be completely, completely arrogant for any one of those five to say to any one of the other, only my way can possibly get a person from Madison to Chicago. If you take your way, you're, you're not going to get there. On the other hand, imagine those same five people all sitting in the airport in Madison, all of them looking to get on a plane. And yes, one of them wants to go from Madison, Madison to Chicago, but one wants to go to New York, one wants to go to Seattle, one wants to go to LA, and one wants to go to Houston. Then what if one of them said to another one of them, you know, if, if you want to go to Chicago, the only way to get there is to get on the plane that's going to Chicago. If you get on the plane that's going to Houston, it's not going to get you to Chicago. That wouldn't be arrogance. That would be just kind of stating the obvious, right? Well, here's the point. It completely misses the point to say that all religions are just different paths up different sides of the very same mountain that all, all lead ultimately to the top. The reality is that in the case of each and every religion, that the destination that is trying to be reached is unique. The goal, the prize that is being offered is unique. The problem 
that is being addressed is unique. And once we realize that that's the case, then it shouldn't surprise us one bit that the path to get to that destination and the solution to solve that problem are also going to be unique. I think that's helpful not only in terms of how we might talk about our faith, but it's also very helpful in terms of why we need to remember what really makes our faith so unique. Just as we started this series last week and, and talked about how it is so very easy for us to slip back into our natural assumptions about God, how, how we need the Holy Spirit to give us a faith that comes from the top down, how we continuously need the Holy Spirit to show us that those assumptions about God are all wrong and to teach us the truth about God. As we look at these verses today from Romans chapter 8, they're, they're really the perfect verses to remind us of what makes our faith in the triune God so unique. And as we look at these verses today, we're going to see what is really nothing more than stating the obvious, that only a triune God can deliver what only a triune God can offer. So what does our, our triune God offer well, as we look at these verses from Romans chapter 8, the, the big idea that they talk about is sort of obvious. What God wants for us is for us to be his children. Now, maybe that doesn't sound so unique. A lot of religions talk about being God's children. In fact, you'll, you'll often hear it said that, that all people are God's children. Well, when Paul says that God wants us to be his children in these verses, he, he defines what he means. And what he means is more than the fact that, that God created all of us. That's certainly true. He means more than the fact that all of us sort of live under God's roof and therefore ought to follow God's rules. That's, that's true as well. Paul says that being God's child means having a relationship with God that is absolutely absent of fear. A relationship where you know your place, where you know where you stand. A relationship where you can live your life, not, not stressing out that the next slip-up is going to land you out on the streets. A relationship where you can come to God with any worry, any frustration, any failure, just as, as comfortably and as naturally as a child cries out, Daddy. I think even as human fathers, this resonates with us a little bit. As human fathers, we, we all have expectations for our children. We have certain ways that we, we want them to behave. But I, I think all of the fathers in the room would agree that far worse than the possibility of having a child who, who never lives up to those expectations and who does everything the exact opposite way of how we want him to, far worse than that would be to have a child who is afraid of his father. A child who never thinks that he's been good enough. A father who is never sure that he's worthy of dad's love. A, father, a, a child who recoils when dad reaches out for embrace. A child who keeps things from dad because he's scared of what dad might do. Even we human fathers know that that, that would be the worst thing in the world to have a child who's scared of dad. Friends, you and I have a God like that. A God who doesn't just want to be our employer, where his, his favor and his blessings are contingent on our performance. A God who doesn't just want to be our next-door neighbor, who, who's happy to put up with us, but who will definitely keep us at arm's length. No, we have a God who invites us into the house. A God who makes a place at the family dinner table 
a God who gives us our own room. We have a God who, who gives us the password to the family Wi-Fi and the key code to the garage door opener. We have a God who points to the fridge and says, anything you can find in there, it's, it's all yours, have at it. We have a God who goes down to the lawyer's office and has the will rewritten to include us. We have a God who wants us to joy in his delight over us, not a God who wants us to fear his wrath for us. But of course, that's a problem. Because that very same God who wants us to be his children is also completely holy and completely perfect. This is the God in whose presence you heard the angels hide their faces. This is the God about whom those same angels call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the God before whom sinful human beings, like the prophet Isaiah, cry out, Woe is me! I am ruined! I am unclean! How can a holy and perfect God have children like that? How can a holy and perfect God have children like us? Well, it's only because he's triune. It's only because that very same God who wants so badly to be our father also has a son. Now, in these verses, Paul doesn't describe in great detail everything that, that Jesus Christ, God's Son, has done for us. He, he really spent a lot of time doing that in Romans 1 through 7. But in these verses, he does use a very important term that says a whole lot. He says that we have become co-heirs with Christ. Co Heirs. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, the only one in all of human history who by right can stand in God's presence completely unafraid, God's own Son took everything that was his and he shared it with us. And he did so by taking everything that is ours and, and making it his own. He became one of us. He stooped down to live for us and to die for us so that we could be raised up to where he is. That we could have the very same standing before God that he does. That we could have the very same inheritance from God that he has. Just about every religion in the world has, has some sort of concept of the afterlife and some sort of version of paradise that is awaiting those who, who measure up. But only a religion where God is triune can offer its people an inheritance that God's own son himself has. And only a religion where God is triune can offer that inheritance, not on the basis of the performance of each and every child in the family, but rather on the basis of the performance of God's one and only perfect child. Now, how do I know that that's unique? How do I know that what a triune God offers is different from what any other religion might offer. Well, maybe one thing that, that kind of proves it beyond all doubt is that the very people who believe this, who confess their faith in a triune God, not just on, on Holy Trinity Sunday, but really every single Sunday, that those very same people are sometimes the most prone to forget it. To slip back into a relationship with God that is driven by and characterized by fear. Where the sins that we commit, those, those awful, ugly sins, those sins that 
no matter how hard we try, we keep committing over and over again, that those sins cause us to walk around burdened by guilt, wondering if we're really worthy of God's love. That we look for any opportunity we can find to feel smug and superior to people around us, including, including looking at the fact that, well, we, we know and we believe in the one true God, the triune God, that, that so often we live for and depend on the approval of other people instead of, of simply relishing and delighting in the approval that God has for us. Friends, faith in, in what our triune God offers us is not something that we roll out of bed in the morning just naturally believing. Faith in what our triune God offers us takes a miracle. It takes a complete rebooting and reprogramming of our system. Or as, as Jesus told Nicodemus that night, it takes rebirth. Which is why it's something that only a triune God can accomplish. See, if you and I are going to have what God wants to give us, it not only takes a father who loves us enough to want us to be his children, it not only takes a, a son who is able to be the perfect child and, and who can make that salvation possible, it also takes someone to convince us that this impossibly good news is actually true. Someone who can come into our hearts and drive away all of that fear, replace it with that childlike assurance that we are God's children. And that's exactly the job of the Holy Spirit. As Paul describes the work of the Holy Spirit in these verses, he sort of compares him to a judge who presides over adoption cases. If an adoption is going to take place, yes, you need parents who are willing to adopt that child into the family. You need siblings who are willing to make room in the family for that new sibling, figuratively and, and maybe also literally. But you also need a judge. You need an authority. You need an expert who can declare and decree that this is, in fact, official. You need someone who is qualified to sign their name on that adoption certificate, proving that this new arrangement is, in fact, reality, that this child has a new birth in a new family with a new name. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us. It was at our baptism that he dipped his pen in the blood of Jesus Christ and signed that adoption certificate, making us new members of a new family with a new name. It is in his word, the very message that he inspired, that he says to us over and over and over again, you are God's child. It is when we come to the family dinner table to participate in the meal that Jesus himself has prepared that the Holy Spirit adds to that assurance in our hearts. The Holy Spirit has the responsibility of accomplishing the miracle of all miracles to convince people who by default so often are driven by fear that they are in fact children of God. That they can simply joy in the delight that God has for them. And so friends, where would you rather want to be today? Even as we kick off camping season and weekends up north, where would you rather be? And, and by that I mean not just sitting here in church, although that's part of it, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's any time we have the opportunity to be with our fellow Christians around God's word in the very place where the Holy Spirit does his work. 
Anytime that is going on, the Holy Spirit is actually doing something for us in our hearts and in our lives. He is convincing us all the more that we are, in fact, children of our Heavenly Father for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, anytime we are where the Holy Spirit does His work, it's, it's sort of like we're sitting on an airplane. To what better destination could you possibly be going? And what other path could possibly get you there? Our triune God is the path. And our triune God is the prize. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.